0: Sometimes Good morning, and welcome to episode 639 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh of Grantland. Hi, Ben. Hello. How are you? Swell. All right. Uh, later in the show, Sahadev, will be talking to Andrew Asselford of Fox Sports Florida about the Tampa Bay Rays. In the meantime, we'll be talking to Adam Sobsey about the Tampa Bay Rays. Hi, Adam. Hi, guys. How are you? Good. So Adam uh, has written for Baseball Prospectus. He has uh, covered the Durham Bulls, the Rays AAA affiliate. And um, he also co-wrote this amazing book called Bull City Summer, uh, which he sent me because I begged him basically publicly to. And I have (laughs) never told him this. I've never told him this, but it is one of the most beautiful books and one of the most enjoyable baseball reading experiences I've ever had. And I've been meaning to tell him, but I didn't want to just sort of just fling it at him. But, uh, in fact, it is an incredible book. It um, chronicles Adam and and some photographers and some writers chronicled a a minor league season with tons of photographs, great writing, portraits. Uh, Adam's writing is spectacular in it. And there's this one photo uh, by Hiroshi Watanabe uh, on page 112 of the book of a man, I believe, keeping score in the shadows of a... Uh, scorekeeper's box That uh, is just one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen And then right across from it There's a picture of a player's locker And um, in the in the background of the player's locker There is a ultrasound of his child Hung up And those two pictures are two of my favorite baseball photos I think that have ever been taken now It's a great book Adam, well done
1: And he's not just saying that because you're here I saw it on his shelf last weekend And I asked him how he liked it And he said the same thing You weren't so even wh- there
0: it's a great book too because if you want to, you can do it in a night. Like you can just sort of on a Friday evening at eight o'clock, just start reading, and if you want to, you can be done with it by eleven. And you can refer back to it and look at the photos from time to time if you'd like. Uh, but it's a it's a beautiful experience. It's like going to a game and having this beautiful game unfold before you. If you guys could
2: write that down and send it to the publisher, <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> it, it was a it was a just really fun to work on and and strange just because. Um, We had a bunch of artists involved, some of whom knew nothing about baseball and some of whom knew a lot about it. And the only directive any of us had was find what interests you and go after it. So the book, I think, does a great job of giving a wide sense of what you can see when you're in a ballpark, because you have people like me who are basically focused on the game and nothing else and don't want to be bothered by anything. And then other people who are taking pictures who don't care at all about the game and are looking for anything else, like Hiroshi, whose work I actually like better than anybody else in the book, who basically, he wasn't even at the ballpark when the game started. He just came in during the day. That was the fun of it for me, was just seeing what everybody was going to come up with.
0: So uh, let's, uh, uh, good. I'm glad we got to talk about that. So let's talk about the Tampa Bay Rays. I guess everybody, and I don't want to pollute your prediction too much, but I think everybody who has seen Pakoda has, on the high side, thought that the Rays were kind of one of the more surprising projections? Because the Rays, A, weren't very good last year on the surface, and B, have seemed to move backwards a little bit with some of their moves, uh, backwards in the sense that uh, they were long-term moves, perhaps, but in the short term, uh, they took away, you know, ar- arguably one of their middle-of-the-order hitters and, you know, their ace. So uh, what do you suppose it is that Pakoda or that maybe other projection systems see in, in the Rays that, like, for instance, Las Vegas does not. Vegas has the raise uh, way, way, way lower. Um, do you kind of have any idea what the discrepancy would be due to?
2: I was actually looking at some of the individual player projections today, because I was curious. You know, who's going to be that much better than the people they replaced? The Pekota's very bullish on Nick Franklin, who I mean hasn't really played a full season in the majors, but I think they have him. I don't have it in front of me, but I think they have him at something and a half wins there's there's guys like that who are surprising and i also just wonder if the rays su- supposedly but now in trouble vaunted young pitching is attractive to certain projection models because i was confused about it too but given that young pitching to the rays have is supposed to be a really nice thing to have in your arsenal i was wondering if it was that now that now that you know alex cobb is hurt and drew smiley has tendonitis and Everything's going haywire already. I don't, you know, I don't know where that leaves us. It's hard to imagine that lineup scoring a lot of runs.
0: Can we talk about Franklin for a minute? Because Franklin, you could sort of see, to some degree, what the projection system is looking at. He's always been very young for his levels. He's a middle infielder who has mm-hmm. uh, traditionally hit very well in the minors and has shown at times a, uh, a, a the power that would uh, seem to presage good things in the majors. And he was actually hitting pretty well in Tacoma before the trade, and then he went to Durham and proceeded to do nothing. I mean, it was uh, 100 at-bats, and he hit 210, 288, 290, which is just about as bad as, as you can do. Did you get a chance to see him when he was in Durham, and uh, what did you make of the struggles?
2: I did, yes. Um, and I should add that he had—this is an extremely small sample size, but I think given that he had just come over from the West Coast and was joining an organization. I think it does bear some weight. He had an excellent postseason for Durham, which doesn't show up in those numbers, and looked much more confident and much more in command of himself. You know, a a large part of the issue, I I don't have the splits right in front of me, but a large part of the issue is he's really not a good right-handed hitter. And I I don't, I mean, obviously they're going to let him do what he needs to do for now, but at at some point if he can't hit right-handed, he might be a candidate for a guy like was it Shane Victorino? Somebody who basically just abandoned one side of the plate. But he plays with plays with a lot of very tight energy, which can serve him well at times. I think he probably came over here, I think I talked to him once about this, came over here feeling like there was some pressure on him because he was one of the key pieces for David Price. You know, not only the ace of the staff, but arguably the heart and soul of the team along with Longoria. And that's a lot to ask. And I think there was a... F- even though he did his best to say, no, I'm just coming over here and playing my game, I, I think it was pretty clear that there was more going on than that and that he was trying to prove to everybody that he was worth a third of David Price since the other guys were Smiley and you know an 18-year-old shortstop prospect who may turn out to be awesome, but we're not going to know that for a while. So I was, I'm, I'm tempted to be optimistic about him right now. I didn't get enough of a look at his actual shortstop work to know if he can really play Major League Shortstop. That's why Asdrubal Cabrera is on board.
1: There was a, a time last year when Gabe Kapler was writing for Baseball Prospectus, and we were thrilled to have him, and he was doing great work, and we knew it wasn't going to last because pretty soon someone was going to swoop in and hire Gabe Kapler. At the time, we were comparing it to that Freaks and Geeks episode where the, the girl from another school transfers in, and she friends... The geeks, because she doesn't know they're geeks, but they know that they're geeks, and they know that they're going to lose him. So the Rays are kind of the equivalent. They're this low-payroll team, and they hit on a great thing with Friedman and Madden, and they managed to hold on to them for quite a while. And now that run has come to an end, at least with those people specifically, was there a sense that that upheaval was going to come this offseason? I mean, did you have any idea that...
2: That that run was going to end when it did. I was totally shocked, and I think I think everybody else was too. I I don't I don't really I mean I, I don't have this much inside access, but I don't really think the Rays even expected this to happen. Uh-huh. You know the the real the real shocker for me was the strange reveal that after Friedman left, oh Joe Madden, you get to leave too if you want. That was the real stunner of it. Mm -hmm. I I really didn't think that Friedman was going to be here in Tampa forever, and I didn't really think it was going to be that long, but I I didn't hear any rumblings that he was actually on his door Mm -hmm. right then.
1: So what is the cost then? Because that's something we talk about when people say, well, why aren't general managers or managers or whoever paid more? One of the potential explanations is that all of the innovations that they put in place— are carried on by their replacements and whatever their philosophies are, are adopted by their right-hand people. And those people take over and maybe they can do the same thing. So what do we know about Kevin Cash, about Matt Silverman? And as you mentioned, there's plenty of continuity in the front office, in the field staff. So should we assume that whatever the guys who were there before were doing, the, the new people can carry on? Or is it possible that... There was something about those two particular minds or personalities that can't be duplicated.
2: It's easier for me to say, to speculate about the change from Madden to Cash than it is from Friedman to Silverman because we don't really know how much of what Friedman was doing was it coming from Silverman. And for that matter from Heim Bloom and Eric Neander, those three guys were heavily involved from what I could tell in making personnel decisions or at least influencing personnel decisions that Friedman was making. And for all we know, that part of the business isn't going to change too much. The Will Myers trade signaled a step away from that, but I don't want to read too much into that yet. I think the thing that I always liked about Madden was how freewheeling he was and how he just seemed to feel like any move that you wanted to dream up, no matter how ridiculous it sounded, was doable. And I think only a manager who's very comfortable in his skin and in his position on the bench with whatever team he's with, feels the liberty to make decisions like that. And I'm curious to see if Cash, who is brand new in just about every sense of the word, feels comfortable enough to be that risk-taking. I think we'll probably see, at first at least, a more conservative and cautious approach especially to in-game decision-making than we saw with Madden. And Cash has already hinted that he's he's not really as interested as Madden was in shuffling his lineup around quite so much. So at least on the field, I think we'll see those kinds of changes, and I think, I think those will be quite visible. What's going to happen in the front office is always harder to guess.
0: So in Molly Knight's essay about the Dodgers, she talked about Friedman having uh, resisted job offers in the past. He had turned down the Angels, he had turned down the Cubs, he had turned down the Astros, which was his hometown, Uh, all plum gigs. And it does seem like part of what's made the Rays so interesting over the last few years is what they do intellectually. But another part of it is just that this is a place that shouldn't be very fun to be in a a lot of ways relative to other teams. You know, the, the fans aren't really there, the stadium sucks. The Competition is a challenge, and you kind of know that your best players are likely to get traded uh, before they hit free agency in a lot of cases. And yet, Friedman stayed all this time, and Madden stayed all this time. And um, you know, you had a lot of players signing these extensions. And when uh, you know players left, they seemed to be genuinely sad that they were leaving. I remember James Shields uh, after he'd been traded going. To, to the team's truck day to wave them goodbye as they left for spring training, even though he hadn't been a Ray for a couple of months. And, and I, I don't know. I mean, it, I don't know how much that matters. I don't know how much you care to speculate about how much that matters. But there was this weird way that they didn't suffer the brain drain as well as maybe the talent drain that you might have expected or that you've seen from some other teams like, like the Rangers and sometimes the A's. Uh, and I wonder if looking back at this era say, 10 years from now, with the benefit of being able to see what happens in the next 10 years, if we'll think that uh, this really was a uh, anomalous time for the Rays, and that just as important as wondering what their next uh, market inefficiency is, or where it will come from, whether we'll sort of wonder why, you know, uh, or look at how important it was that they were able to keep all these people together.
2: <laughs> I, I think, if nothing else, one thing we are going to be able to say, whatever happens going forward, that the the rays the rays first golden age and their move into viability as a franchise owes to this time period and and everything's going to be anchored in it going forward in some way or another you know even if silverman leaves and high and bloom leaves and eric neander leaves i mean there there are philosophical ideas and practices that get passed down through a franchise and i think you know, I, I I think we're just going to see this as the dawn of the team. You almost have to take the first, basically, decade of the franchise and just, you know, forget it and discard it and say that really the, the franchise starts when Friedman and Madden come in and basically remake the whole team in their image, which is pretty much what they did. That's, to me, what's going to be. The thing we remember about these guys, it's it's a shame that in 2008, when they shocked everybody and went all the way to the World Series, that they didn't win it because that that would have given them so much tremendous legitimacy and leverage right off the bat that the after effects of it might mean that that Friedman and Madden are still there. But because they couldn't climb that high anymore, it's it's more like the windows open and now we'll always be able to see out of it. (laughs) You know, so that's what I like about it. And I kind of like that they've moved on and, and left the Rays with another challenge, because this was almost getting to be sort of like ludicrously familiar. They would make these deals that shouldn't work and did. They would sign guys like Casey Kochman and Jeff Kepinger, who should have been dead weight and weren't. They would always seem to find a way to be in contention or near it somehow. And I'm sort of excited to see how they're going to do that without those guys.
1: Do you think either of those guys, and this isn't necessarily a raised question, but do you think either of those guys' value is context sensitive? Will, will they help a, a successful you know big market team as much as they help the Rays?
2: I've really wondered about that. that. I think that's a great question because so much of what Madden and Friedman were so gifted at was making a lot of a little and being resourceful almost to insane levels at times and i wonder how they're gonna do with making a lot out of a lot Mm -hmm. it's it's really interesting to think about like is friedman just gonna almost be paralyzed by the ludicrous amount of money he has to spend with the dodgers and not know what you know not know how to spend it is madden gonna walk into this ancient storied franchise that appears to have some sort of uh, hex on it, and rather than build a thing, brand new, remake a thing that's already deeply entrenched and will be long after he's gone, That I, I think about that a lot, and I wonder what's going to happen.
1: I think Friedman knows how to spend it. He'd spend it paying players to play for the Patres and the Marlins. It's been a very... <laughs> Very good way to spend it. Um, so you mentioned in your essay that the Rays played the longest games in the majors last year, the three hours and 19 minutes, despite the fact that they allowed the fewest runs in the league and scored the fewest runs in the league, which is pretty impressive. No one was scoring in Rays games, and yet the games took forever. And you broke down why this was. They have a lot of pitchers who took a long time, and it seems like an intentional strategy. And it made a very useful literary device for the essay with clocks and time running out and so forth. But what is the competitive advantage of taking a long time, do you think?
2: Well, I think from a pitcher's standpoint, if you can bore the hitter before he steps into the box, I think that can actually work much to your advantage. I remember this is a a somewhat, a slightly different example, but an extreme one. And I've always really liked it. A long time ago, Tom Seaver was facing the Pittsburgh Pirates, and it was raining, and it was an important moment in the game. I I don't remember what exactly the game was. And he took an extremely long time between pitches to Manny Sanguian, who was the Pirates catcher at the time. And somebody after the game said, Why were you standing out there in the rain for so long during that at-bat and not making pitches to him? And he said, Because I wanted him to be as uncomfortable as possible by the time he stepped into the box. And I think to some degree, although you can't control how much rain is falling, there's a weird way in which letting all these seconds elapse just makes the hitters more and more uncomfortable. And I don't really know whether that's an intentional practice of Jim Hickey, the pitching coach, that he's trying to get his guys to adopt. But there are so many pitchers on that team who are essentially adding the equivalent of more rain into the picture for these hitters that I have to think it's intentional. The irony being that when... Um, Jared Sandberg was announced as the Bulls, the Durham Bulls' new manager. They had a little press conference here not long ago, and I was actually asking him about this and asking him if this is some sort of organizational practice, and he said, on the contrary, in the minor leagues, our pitchers are constantly being told to sp- to speed up. So if it if it's going on up there, it's only going on up there. Hmm. But I, I do think it's about making making batters less comfortable in the box. Yeah, I hope that's what it is. Otherwise, it's just wasting time
1: (laughs) yeah that's that's interesting because they the rays do seem to have a certain uniformity in the types of pitchers they pursue or i don't know whether it's the types of pitchers that they pursue or the type they develop but you know like not only slow guys but but change-ups you know yeah pitchers who throw change-ups a lot or throw them to same-sided hitters or whatever it seems like there's a consistency and approach that you don't necessarily see with every team that you can identify a a raised pitcher
2: when jeremy hellickson pitched for the durham bulls he was an extremely fast worker he would throw his pitch get the ball back and basically look in for the next sign mark Beerley style and i was shocked when he got to the majors and was taking 20 22 seconds between pitches it just seems to be something That either is deliberately communicated to these guys or it's just part of a pitching culture that you inherit once you get to the big league level in that organization. I'm I'm not really sure. But I think along with the changeup, it is interesting how so much of it seems to be about slowing things down and disrupting timing. Mm
1: -hmm. So you've been covering a portion of the Rays minor league system. So you've seen that up close. And you wrote at length about the experience of covering Josh Lukey for the classical. And, of course, you will not be doing that anymore unless you move to the Mexican League. But there is this perception that the Rays have targeted guys whose character or makeup may be questionable or guys who have had transgressions on their records. They've had a lot of drug suspensions. Is there a noticeably different character to a raised AAA team specifically, which is what you've been covering, than, than you would see around the rest of the league? Is it is it noticeable, that the type of guys who are in a raised minor league clubhouse?
2: I never really noticed anything major there. I mean, you know, we'll never know about Josh Soleil because he didn't make it. <laughs> right. Um, and I, he seems to have been a serious recidivist there. You know, I, Matt Bush was here for a split second. He seemed like a perfectly nice guy, but I also saw him for a couple of minutes. I, I haven't really noticed it, to tell you the truth. And it always, it still manages to take me by surprise when yet another raised minor leaguer is suspended for drugs or, you know, dismissed from the team or whatever, let go by the franchise. I, you know, I guess we just, wh- what do we say? It's, it's a market inefficiency you know, taking risks on these guys and seeing what they can produce. But in terms of the clubhouse itself, no. I mean, the Rays have been pretty good about stocking that clubhouse in Durham, generally with some veteran guys who sort of hold the tent pegs down for everybody. And it's really pretty hard for just one guy Mm -hmm. to disrupt an entire clubhouse like that.
1: Unless he's A-Rod, of course. Unless he's
2: (laughs) A-Rod. I mean, you know, Maybe it's different in the big leagues. I don't know. I, I would have been curious to hang around the Rays when Manny Ramirez was playing for them for basically spring training. Mm-hmm. But everybody seemed to
1: like him. We should say something about the Myers trade and the Souza trade because yeah. the I, I Sam talked about the differential between what the projections see in the Rays as a team and what everyone else seems to see in, in them. And I guess you could say that Stephen Souza is sort of a microcosm of that. The projection systems think he's a— 3-4 win player and of course he's 25 close to 26 and has not been a highly rated prospect so which side of that do you come down on in the souza debate and why will myers why did they decide to do that
2: the myers part since that's i saw much more of him i will say that myers really did not seem to be tuned in to what was going on around him very much that he gave off the impression of being a guy who basically just wanted to get up there and swing the bat. And there were whispers that he did not invest himself in his rehab from his injury with as much intensity as they wanted. And that the, the mental makeup part was unsatisfactory and maybe even driving people nuts. How much of that is Bible fact? I don't know, but I heard enough of that that I have to wonder if, if part of the reason for letting him go, or trading him, I should say, just didn't have to do with the Rays saying we're, you know, we're trying, we're trying to have certain kinds of players around here, and this guy's just not one of them. The proof will be in the pudding later, I guess. Suze is an interesting guy. I saw him play a little bit when he was um, in the Inter- Inter- international league, and liked his game. I, you know, I'm always skeptical about old prospects, which is essentially what he is. You know, and we have him projected for what would be, I think, the second biggest season among Rays position players after Longoria. Uh-huh. So it's a lot to throw on that guy. If he can do it, I'll have a lot more faith in the, in the Rays' ability not to finish in or near the basement and scoring runs again, because I don't see much else in terms of power production. Uh, you know, I, I like his game. It's, it's, it's easy to look at the, the now-famous catch he made to preserve, was it Zimmerman's no-hitter last year? Mm-hmm. and think of him as a five-star outfielder I'm not sure he's that but in the corners he's fine I guess they're trying him in center field is that right a little bit they had him over there in spring training the other day I'm not sure I love that I'd rather have Kiermaier there but I, I actually think it's a good gamble you know if they if they like Souza's makeup more I don't really mind essentially swapping Myers out for him especially if if part of what Myers was doing wasn't just underperforming at the plate but being a problem in and around the clubhouse. Again, it's only speculation, but I, I, I really do think some of that was what was going on.
0: You get you get such a different look at these guys being in Durham because they're not under the same microscope. They're not mm-hmm. uh, they're not uh, you know, around like hundred millionaires who kind of enforce a sort of code of, of adulthood around them perhaps. And you also get to see a lot of players who aren't necessarily ever gonna under that microscope like they might top out at triple a so i'm curious if you have a ray who is either at triple a this year or who has recently been promoted uh but that you got to know who you particularly root for or are rooting for right now there have been a few
2: i was uh he's not in the system anymore but i cried a yelp of joy when sean o'malley got called up to the angels last year
0: oh as we all did (laughs)
2: Yeah. (laughs) Just because that guy was uh, playing for the Bulls in 2012, a season when he had no business being in AAA at all. There were injuries up and down the system. And one of my favorite things about AAA is that you will have, as we did that year, Hideki Matsui and Sean O'Malley on the same team. And because of the craziness of the way the level works, if a guy has to come up from AA, or in some cases, the Rays, the Rays will think nothing of actually reassigning a guy from high A to A just to fill a hole for a while. If that guy is in the right place at the right time and doesn't totally embarrass himself on the field, he'll stay for the whole season. And that happened with O'Malley. And I mean, I and everybody else thought he's just an organizational guy and he'll hang around for a while and maybe put in a few decent years in AAA and then become a coach or go do whatever else people do. So when he got called up last year and he was a nice kid, I really liked him. You know, he himself sort of gave off the impression of a guy who was just happy to be in Durham riding the same bus with Hideki Matsui. And there he is in the majors. And even though I don't hold out any fond hope that he's going to be a superstar, <laughs> it was just, it was just a thrill to see him get there because you really, even in AAA, like where you're, yes, you're that close officially to being in the majors, there's really, there's really three categories of AAA players. And one of those categories is the guys who are never going to make it. And Sean O'Malley was in that category. And every now and then, one of them busts through anyway. So I, I, I just couldn't have been happier for him. Him and oddly, Ryan Reed, who was here a few years ago and was a sort of afterthought reliever who just kept getting a little bit better and a little bit better for the time he was here incrementally and got good enough to get called up. I don't even know where he is now. He was with the Pirates, and I think he's not now, but he was a really nice dude. He has Uh, no spring training stats, so that's not a great sign. What's that? He has no spring training stats?
0: So far as I can tell, he has no spring training stats. O'Malley does. O'Malley's hitting 071, Seattle. That's the Sean O'Malley
2: we all know and love. (laughs)
1: Yeah. <laughs> i wonder if you'll get to see justin o'connor at some point this year he's he's my guy because there was a at, at scout school my instructor showed me this video of justin o'connor who i had never heard of throwing out everyone just he told me it was like the most amazing arm he had ever seen he compared it to christian bettencourt or said it was better and at some point the bp crew was doing their best tool series and I was plugging Justin O'Connor based on this one video, and no one had seen him. And I felt so so great getting this scoop on a guy, uh, even though he was a, a late first round pick. But he hadn't hit up to that point at all, so he wasn't really much of a prospect. But this year he did hit, and he's threw out everyone. Fifty five percent caught stealing rate Holy this year. Holy moly! Fifty six percent the year before that. And I imagine he's not getting a whole lot of help from his pitchers at those levels either. No. So. Pretty amazing arm, so I'm looking forward to seeing just that. Even if catcher arm is sort of an overrated
2: skill, it's still pretty impressive in his case. Yeah, me too. I, he he's been on my radar for a while now. He had a pretty bad uh, hip problems that actually relegated into just being a DH a couple of seasons ago down in the in A ball. Mm-hmm. So now that he's recovered, I think I think there was never a question that he had the arm. It was the, whether the rest of his body could hold up. Yeah. You know, you're you're remind that the, the guy that I actually had as my guy for a little while before he suddenly became everybody's guy was Kevin Kiermeyer, uh-huh. who came up here to Durham from AA right at the end of the 2012 season, Like I think literally on the third to last day or something like that, and, and in his first game made a couple of highlight reel catches, worked out a couple of pretty intense at-bats against guys probably throwing harder than he'd ever seen, and won both of those at-bats and was just playing his butt off. And I, I had barely really heard of him. He was a 31st-round draft pick. And I saw that guy play, and I was like, I, I don't know if that's for real, because I really just saw him for like two games. But if that's for real, that guy that guy's going to make it to the major leagues just on the basis of his outfielding. Mm-hmm. So I was telling everybody in the offseason, I actually forgot to get him into the annual, because I, I, I lost track of it. But in, in that offseason, I was telling everybody, that's the guy I want to see next year. Nobody had heard of him.
0: Ryan Reed was a a non-roster invite to the Marlins camp, has been reassigned to minor league camp and has some elbow soreness.
2: Mm -hmm. Oh, that ominous. (laughs) Yeah,
1: is the the system as a whole? They made some moves this winter that I suppose were calculated to restock it. They went from 26th in BP's organizational rankings last year to 24th now. I don't know whether that reflects the actual improvements they made or not, but they have obviously had some trouble drafting in recent years or getting anything from their draft picks post David Price, really mm-hmm. uh, early, early in the draft, at least. So is there anything that you can identify as the source of the problem with drafting or is it just random bad luck? And do you see any improvement in the system lately? In the, in the drafting,
2: you know, I have the last couple of draft classes. I have I've only seen one guy, and that was also again for just a few days. Luke Maley, who's a catcher, who looked interesting in a couple of games. I, uh, you know, I'll have to see him more this year. I, I think, you know, I think one of the things that everybody's been able to overlook over the last few years because the Rays always seem to have magic beans to throw on their problems is that their drafts have been really bad. I think until, I think until Kiermaier got up there, they. Or I guess Tim Beckham beat him by a handful of days towards the end of right. 2013. They hadn't had anybody they drafted reach the majors since 2007, mm-hmm. and it's hard for me to believe that they have inept scouting. They're good at everything else, and I I'm I'm tempted to chalk some of it up to bad luck. I will say they had a big bonanza in 2011 where they they gamed the supplemental pick system and had something like 11 of the first 60 picks in the draft. Right. And I could be wrong, but I don't think any of those guys has been in the majors yet. And a couple of them are gone for good. Mikey Matuk is from that class, and he's been fast-tracked up through the minors, and he's a pretty interesting, probably fourth outfielder, but if if he improves a little bit more, he could actually start. I don't think that the system is bad by any means, but a lot of the talent in it that I'm interested in seeing was acquired by trade. So it may have just been that they decided we're getting better so we don't have the same draft pick status that we had. So since we're not going to be able to guarantee ourselves a shot at David Price or Carl Crawford or Evan Longoria every year, let's go after other teams more established prospects and stop taking so many risks on throwing big bucks at every, at, at amateurs. But it, it seems to have more interesting players with higher floors now and fewer blue-chip guys who, who have the high ceilings. I, I don't really see anybody like that coming through the system anymore. I mean, you know, Myers was the last guy who looked like a superstar, and obviously he was not a Tampa Bay Ray originally.
0: That 2011 draft, that's... I'm glad I'm, I'd am i forgotten all about that, but yeah, that was like a huge story at the time that they had all that. That is just a free article idea for anybody who wants to go write a good article that I'll probably read about that draft and how it went bad for the Rays. Anyway, all right, Adam, predict things. How many wins? Where will they finish?
2: Can, can you remind me? I don't even have it in front of me, what Pocota says. How no. Many, we cannot. You we can't.
0: can't. It's not against the rules.
2: <laughs> I think they're going to be about a 500 team.
0: Okay. So you're saying eighty-one wins?
2: Yeah, I think I'm saying eighty-one wins. Okay, and I'm saying it that... partly because their their pitching's already in a deteriorated state. You know, I, I probably would have liked it better right before spring training started, but the 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 depth isn't isn't really there in AAA.
0: And where does that put them in the AL East, in your estimation? I guess that's a more
1: difficult question because we're really asking you to predict four other teams' finishes <laughs> at the same
2: time.
0: Yeah, and who cares? I, it's not going to win and it's not going to be last, so nobody cares. Don't even answer that. All right, that's great. Pekoda,
2: Somewhere between first and
0: fifth, you know. Uh, I believe Pakota had them at 86, but the uh, the more refined playoff odds, uh, oh, Pakota had them at 87. But the more refined projections of the uh, playoff odds that have been released in the last couple days uh, have them at 85, basically, in a uh, dead heat with the Red Sox.
2: Yeah, well, that's a little better than I than I think. But I, that's that's reasonable. But I, yeah. I, 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 I really think they're about a 500 club right now. Okay.
1: All but right. Well, thank you, Adam.
2: Thanks, guys. It was fun.
1: And as we mentioned, you can find Adam writing about the Bulls at... BullCitySummer.org. You can read him at The Paris Review at IndieWeek.com, and of course, Bull City Summer, as Sam mentioned, he's also on Twitter at Sabzi. All right. After the musical break, you will hear Sahadev speaking to Andrew Asselport.
3: Welcome to the second half of the Effectively Wild podcast. I'm Sahadev Sharma, associate editor for Baseball Prospectus. With me is Andrew Astleford from Fox Sports Florida. We're going to preview the 2015 Tampa Bay Rays. Thanks so much for joining me, Andrew. No problem. Uh, it's a it's a real different team as far as two of the bigger uh, maybe the face faces of the turnaround you could say uh, back in 2008. Uh, Madden, Joe Madden, and Andrew Friedman are both gone. Uh, you know, I've always thought uh, if if you're a good general manager, uh, just just your sole departure shouldn't tear apart the franchise. You should have set up a nice base, and I and I believe Friedman did that. Is that the case? Are people confident that you know that the turnaround that happened in 2008 we they won't just fall right back to the previous Tampa Bay Rays because of the base maybe that's been built
4: it's interesting the people within the team will definitely tell you that i like Matt silverman the current president of baseball operations and kevin cash the new manager and some of the veterans like kevin longoria as well and i think there's more doubt among some on the outside though especially the national media they seem to be really kind of casting off the Rays for the most part before we even begin this season so it's gonna be interesting to see who's proven right if you will i guess as we go through this season and down the line too but there is something to your point that this team has been built on pitching and defense it's always been that way for the past few years at least under joe madden and andrew friedman and that was the assumption going into this season as well The you know that just the the pitching staff is going to be so good led by alex cobb and chris archer Drew Smiley, Jake Odorizzi, and and Matt Moore when he comes back from Tommy John surgery. But recently, they've had some injuries, of course, with some tendonitis problems involving Alex Cobb's right forearm and Drew Smiley's left shoulder. So they're going to have to overcome that in April. But they're fortunate that these injuries aren't long-term. And yesterday, Matt Silverman said that – you know, they're hoping that these guys will be back mid to late April and that rotation will somewhat calm down. So I think a lot of it hinges on that, just the pitching and defense with this team. And if they can continue that, like they have, you know, throughout most of the Madden Friedman era, then I think you know there is a chance that they can compete in the American League East.
3: Yeah, you mentioned it right off the bat there. The the rotation, uh, it, it was thought to be a kind of a strong uh, strength of the team and, and maybe a little bit of depth. But uh, you mentioned Cobb, Smiley, and even Alex Colome. Uh, is that how you pronounce it, by the way? Am I oh, column A. Yep,
4: uh, Column. A. Oh, okay.
3: I'm, I'm yep. good at that. Okay. <laughs> I just uh, I, I, sometimes I, you know, you read these names so often. Sometimes you don't hear yeah. them as often as you as you read them, and then you, Definitely. you say them out loud, and you're like, "Wait, did, I, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right." <laughs> All right. <laughs> So I mean he, he just uh, he was late arrival to camp so that kind of I'm sure that set him back a little bit but he's he's kind of the favorite to be the fifth starter came just got out of the hospital with pneumonia uh, there's there's kind of a, a jumble going on here in the rotation the, but it sounds like that they're a they're confident that uh, that these guys will all be ready if not to start the season then then soon after and b is there enough depth to even make up if these guys do have extended absence.
4: Well, we'll find out for sure because to start the regular season, at least, they're going to have to dip into the, some of their minor league talent, if you will. I mean, uh, I think the rotation to start, as of now, it's going to look like Chris Archer, Jake Odorizzi, and perhaps Nathan Carnes. And in the last two spots, you, know, you could uh, mix and match between guys like Birch Smith, Matt Andreese, Any Romero, Mike Montgomery, or even Evan, or excuse me, Everett Tiford has been mentioned as possibly you know, a guy who can sneak into the rotation. So we're going to see. It's going to be fascinating to see how this all kind of comes together in these last few weeks of spring and who will be inserted in the rotation as the Rays wait for Colome to get healthy again, Alex Cobb to get healthy, Drew Smiley to get healthy. And this isn't an ideal situation by any means, especially for a first year manager like Kevin Cash. I'm sure he was kind of hoping that the the stable thing that this franchise has had for so long, the strong pitching and the strong rotation would be there and be set for the start of the season. And and they begin with a, a very difficult stretch against mainly American League East competition I think they have a series of the Miami Marlins early on, that's the only venture outside the division in the first month of the season, so this is going to be a tough road without these guys I believe, without a person like Alex Cobb especially leading your rotation and they're going to have to rely a lot on Chris Archer and Jake Odorizzi and Nathan Carnes as well to kind of Uh, stabilize our rotation a little bit with some unknowns leading into the season so yeah there will be no warts hidden whatsoever with this rotation we're going to see everything uh, as far as uh, how deep uh, the kind of the top line minor league guys can be and if they can step in and uh, be serviceable until the main guys come back so yeah uh, some unknowns going this season for the Rays with the pitching but they're going to have to try to make do and do the best they can
3: is there a chance that we could see David DeJesus moved, perhaps to, to kind of help out that pitching depth at the back of the rotation?
4: I, I believe so. I don't think anything's out of the question at this point. I'm a little surprised he's still part of the team, to be honest. I thought he would have been moved in the offseason in a trade, but perhaps they just didn't hear anything they liked at that point. He's been with them throughout the spring, of course, but I believe there could be something just before opening day, perhaps, or just uh, some team in need of outfield depth that will open up to the Rays and uh, deal with David DeJesus. So, yeah, I I believe we could definitely see some kind of trade, maybe like another Eric Bedard signing with the Rays or kind of a veteran guy who can kind of be a placeholder in the rotation until some of these uh, guys I mentioned before come back. And so we'll see. You know, I I definitely think that it, it would be surprising if Dave DeJesus were a part of this team two months from now so you know I, I think there's a definite possibility that David DeJesus will be dealt sometime near opening day uh, you mentioned
3: the other thing uh, that that's always been a stable for this team is the defense and their their uh the starting middle infield is is no longer there with Yunel Escobar and Ben Zobrist how do things expect to shake out in the middle infield who's going to start where and and how what are they expecting defensively from them
4: yeah that was one of the few open position situations uh, in spring really a, a lot of people are already slotted into certain roles and so there wasn't a lot of drama in spring camp but you know, the shortstop situation, the second base situation was up in the air and I think Estrebo Cabrera will be the starting shortstop for the Rays on opening day. He just looks the part. He's been the most fluid at the position in spring until he's a veteran there and he's told Kevin Cash too, It's like, I'm most comfortable at shortstop. I'll play second base if you need me to but I want to be at one position all year and he wants that position to be shortstop so I believe he'll be the starting shortstop for the Rays and then second base you can see a platoon situation with Person like Tim Beckham, perhaps Nick Franklin, you know, Logan Forsyth. So I think you'll see a variety of faces at second base. But going into the spring, there were some questions, you know, maybe Nick Franklin could sneak into the starting shortstop role or Tim Beckham or someone like that. But I think it's definitely going to be Astrubal Cabrera at shortstop for the Rays this year with the platoon situation at second base with some of the names I mentioned before, uh, like Tim Beckham and Nick Franklin there. So yeah, I, I think that's they brought in Astrubal Cabrera, I think, to be that shortstop and that's what he's going to be and I think his history with Kevin Cash helps of course and uh, you know he's made it known that he wants to be a shortstop and I think the Rays will honor that
3: this team is, is known for for having catchers that kind of surprise uh, people uh, you know as far as getting the bulk of the time Jose Molina I think surprised some uh, by by being a regular starter but we all know that he he's he's great at framing once again we got a guy in renee rivera who looks like he's going to get the bulk of the time is that the case should we expect rivera to be there behind the plate all a majority of the season or may they surprise us and add a catcher or is this what we're getting
4: well, I believe it will be Rene Rivera as their primary catcher this year. Yeah, they're really high on this guy. They like him a lot. Of course, he came in the trade and Bob Will Myers going to the Padres. So I think this could be kind of the, the dark horse um, gain for the Rays in the offseason, if you will. Rene Rivera, I think he'll be an upgrade over what they had last year, Ryan Hannigan. And you mentioned Jose Molina, of course. So, you know, if Rene Rivera can stay healthy, you know, that, that'll be a big improvement over what they have of Hannigan, at least last year, who they thought was going to be their primary Catcher, and they never intended to have Jose Molina kind of become that as the year went on. But because of necessity, you know, they had to rely on Ryan Hannigan more than, or excuse me, Jose Molina more than they wanted. So I think Rene Renever will be that guy. He had a breakout year last year, played 103 games, batted 252 with 11 home runs, 44 RBI, and a 319 OBP. So, you know, I, I think this is a guy who. Uh, is set to do more, if you will. I think he can ascend even more this year, and he is really eager to see how it'll fit in this whole thing with the Rays he's talked a lot about how the chemistry has grown a lot with the Rays young rotation with guys like Alex Cobb Chris Archer and I think that bond has really helped here in the spring with these guys and it seems to be a, a just natural comfort level with Rene Rivera and the Rays starting staff already so it'll be interesting to watch that grow throughout the year and I think he could be really solid for Tampa Bay as we continue throughout the season.
3: It's funny you said that uh, OBP of three nineteen, and and I just had a had a conversation on Twitter with. Uh fellow baseball prospectus columnist uh matt trueblood about how we have to kind of readjust our mind frame when it comes to to on-base percentage nowadays <laughs> because 319 is about league average and, and you know five six years ago we would have said that's you know that's that's well below league average and it's just yeah. completely changed uh how we look at things uh as far as the bullpen goes jake mcgee is out i'm not sure you know how long is it going to be an extended period of time and and what's the situation how do things shake out out at the back end of the bullpen with, the, with McGee possibly
4: out. Well, well, they're hoping he'll be back you know, late May, or excuse me, late April or so. So it won't be too many weeks into the regular season. I believe that he'll be back, so that's a good thing for the Rays because he was so solid for them last year. And Brad Boxberger, of course, will start the regular season. So he was the other half of that dynamic duo that the Rays had there in the back end of the bullpen for you know the eighth and ninth innings last year. So I think he'll play a significant role when they out. Of course, they. Gained Kevin Jepsen in the trade in the offseason, so I think they're really eager to see how – you know, he'll fit into this thing, but he should be another late-inning guy. And and Grant Balfour as well will have something to prove after his disappointing season last year. And he actually just had the unfortunate situation going through his father's death. So he talked about how he's going to have a lot of motivation for this season. And it'll be easy to root for Grant Balfour this season for that. So we'll see if he can rebound. But, yeah, Jake McGee will be the guy, of course, when he's back and healthy. Uh, I think he'll be the de facto closer. We'll see if he's given the title of closer. But that's what he became. Last year for the Rays after Grant Balfour struggles. So, you know, it'll be a pretty solid bullpen, I believe. I think Kevin Jepson's addition, um, particularly, is really interesting. Uh, he brings veteran experience, of course, from Los Angeles. He comes into a situation where, you know, he'll be competing with a person like Brad Boxberger and, you know, Jake McGee to kind of be in those high leverage situations. But, yeah, I think bullpen will be a strength for the Rays, and especially if they can get Grant Balfour back to an aggressive presence on the mound, throwing fastballs. He threw too many, I think, change ups. Stuff last year uh, for their liking, of off-speed offerings. So I think they want to see him go back to the fastball and just being aggressive. And if he does that, I think he'll fit in well with this bullpen, and it should be one of the strengths of Tampa Bay.
3: I know it's hard to really judge a manager when when they've managed a total of zero games. Uh, even it, it's, I mean, it's hard even after one season, in my opinion. But but what. What kind of person is uh, Kevin Cash? Uh, do, do we expect a, a player's manager? Is he into analytics like Joe Madden? Is he old school, but but you know maybe a blend of old school and analytics? How does he handle the media? All those things. I, I mean, what 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 kind of read are you getting from him early on?
4: Yeah, he's a, a good guy, a solid guy. I believe he relates well with the players. He's the youngest active major league manager at age thirty seven. So in that way, I think he has an instant. Connection with players and a credibility there. And, uh, you yeah, know, he's a different person than Joe Madden for sure. Joe Madden, you could ask a question him and he'd relate it to something he'd gone through and you know, coming up through baseball and talk for 20 minutes or so just on that one question alone. And Kevin's a l- little more direct and just, you know, businesslike. You know, he's, he's very open to the media so far, of course, and it's been good in that way, but he's just a different person and he needs to be himself. And I thought that was one thing when the Rays are going through their manager search and it was just something that they had to hire someone who was comfortable. Kind of parting from what the Rays had been under Joe Madden, creating his own thumbprint on the position. I think Kevin Cash is doing that so far, and you know he's relied on a person like Tom Foley, who will be his bench coach this year. And Tom has that history with the Rays during the Joe Madden era, so there's some connection there in that way. So I think he'll be able to lean on a person like Tom and and Jim Hickey as well, the pitching coach. You know he was here too when Joe Madden was around and had so much success with the staff. So I think that'll be another figure that Kevin will. rely on a lot this year but yeah you know, so far so good i think the youth is definitely a plus with kevin cash and you know i think that's something he can play upon throughout the year connect with players and build that chemistry and that will come with time
3: uh andrew before i let you go i just want to know what what kind of story what storyline what event it's not really the key to the race season but what are you most looking forward to covering this year as someone that's going to be following this team around for uh, for a full summer
4: Yeah, just to see how this all comes together, the new era. There's been so much talk in the offseason since Joe Maddon left, even before Kevin Cash was hired, just how these new Rays – would look and I think it'd be fascinating to see you know will they rely on analytics like they have in the past will there be much juggling of the lineup we saw so many matchups played as far as figuring out the lineup last year with the Rays and throughout the Joe Madden era really he played the matchups a lot will that happen under Kevin Cash you know I think there'll be a little more stability for core players like Evan Longoria hitting third or fourth and he'll know where he'll be every day and things like that so that could be a break from past instances with the Rays but yeah just uh, how will this look in the new era and will they embrace kind of becoming another team after Joe's left and or will they keep some of those core beliefs going into this new situation, too? So no, it'll be fun to see. I think there are a lot of doubts out there, so they shouldn't have any motivation as far as trying to compete and be you know, a factor in the American League East. But, yeah, they're going to have to you know, just kind of figure this out as they go, and uh, we'll see if they can do it along the way.
3: Andrew, why don't you let the listeners know where they can find you on Twitter or any other social media you may be on
4: and uh, where they can read your work? Yeah, I write for foxsportsflorida.com, and I'm on Twitter at a -A Astleford. That's A-A-S-T-L-E-F-O-R-D.
3: That's Andrew Astleford for Fox Sports Florida, previewing the 2015 Rays with me. I'm Sahadev Sharma. You can follow me on Twitter at Sahadev Sharma. Andrew, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it.
4: You bet. Thanks a lot. Take care.
1: All right, that's it for the Rays Preview Podcast, and that's it for us this week. Thank you for listening. You can join our Facebook group with well over 2,500 listeners at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. You can rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We read all the reviews. That's not true. I read all the reviews and I send Sam some of them. You can support our sponsor, the Play Index, by going to baseballreference.com using the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one year subscription. You can also send us emails for next week at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Have a wonderful weekend. We will be back on Monday with the Boston Red Sox preview.